Welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today in the show, we are going to talk about trauma-informed parenting. We have been talking for the last several weeks about trauma-informed systems work, and obviously in the in the scope of all of society, yes, we have to address every system within it. Um, the structure that we believe kind of sits at the center of those civic systems and societal systems is the family structure. And so we uh, wanted to talk today about the journey from Oantana into trauma-informed parenting and how um, they first got into it, what were the, what were the needs there, um, what was the need for them to explore for different ways of parenting, all of that. They walk through all of it. They talk about some early um, realizations and light bulbs going off and um, practices and strategies that began to take hold and take root in their home and, and what it did um, for even their marriage. And so um, really important, really helpful episode. Hope that you'll check that out. Uh, before we get to that interview, our episode today is brought to you by Ryan and Rose. The good folks at Ryan and Rose have been creating family products for everything from pacifiers, pacifier clips, universal bottle holders, bags, totes, all that kind of stuff, uh, and are longtime huge supporters of the program here at ETC. And so uh, they have done something incredible for our listeners. For those of you who go and buy something at RyanRose.co, so RyanAndRose.co, you are going to get 20% off your order by using the code ETC20. Uh, a lot of times I know for for those of us who are buying uh, gifts or just trying to be thoughtful about where our money goes in the community, it is important for us to understand um, how to support folks that are also um, just making a difference in their world. So I would just tell you from everything that uh, we can we can tell you that Ryan and Rose and their entire company, uh, Lindsay and Brett, their entire company are making a massive difference in the world, uh, in the way they uh, run their company, the way that they do their products, everything. And so uh, we cannot say enough about them. They're an incredible, incredible partner to have. And their products are just high quality. They last. They're incredible, beautiful to look at as well. So if you need a baby gift, you need something for your family, you need something to uh, hold a water bottle on the many different vehicles you push these days or uh, transport your kids around in, ryanandrose.co is the place to go. Use code ETC20 at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. That's ETC20 at checkout at ryanandrose.co. Now here they are, Mohantana Ottinger. Well, we are here today with uh, Mo and Tana Ottinger, and um, we have been doing a series, if you've been following along on the show kind of week by week, where we talked about trauma-informed community engagement, trauma-informed youth programming, trauma-informed youth ministry, education, all that. And it uh, it made the most sense to us as we thought about our path forward, you know, kind of going into the summer and, uh, and beyond on the show here to, to circle back to where this all started for all of us, which is trauma informed parenting. And so, um, Mo and Tana have shared their story, I, I think in multiple iterations, a few different times, but maybe not in the way that you're going to hear it today. And, uh, and just kind of the, some of the simple origins of it, but, um, Tana, I guess, let me start with you when we are like beginning this conversation of trauma-informed parenting, where did it start for you guys? And what was, what was maybe one of the first turning points that, that brought y'all into this conversation? 
sure. Happy to share that. And fun to be back. It's been like quite a few little episodes since I've been on. So it's, it's nice to sort of circle back and be here with you. Um, I, you know, I, I appreciate you saying JD, even the stuff that we've been talking about in the last number of episodes and sort of bringing it back to the origin, because really, and truly, um, all of this started for Mo and I, when we went on a hunt for, some different ways of supporting our kids. And this would have been like 15 years ago or so. Um, Our family was deeply struggling. For those of y'all that might not know, we now have six kiddos that range like 22 years old and down, uh, landing with two nine-year-olds and all have come to us through adoption. And early on, um, Mo and I went into parenting with like a whole lot of hope and a whole lot of like positive thoughts, a whole lot of expectations and a lot of like feeling like we were just going to kind of slay the parenting thing. We read a few books that were really popular at the time. We were in um, a fairly conservative Christian circle and we, there were just certain kind of parenting books that were passed around and Mo and I picked them up and read them. I think we were even given a few at some baby showers and we read those books and thought, ah, we've got this covered. And then we traveled across the ocean and picked up a sweet little pumpkin, came home and started using those parenting strategies um, and tried that for a while. And frankly, um, I think this, I think I can say this, Mo, it would be interesting to see if you agree with this, but honestly, the things that we were doing were not creating a healing environment in our home, like at all. In fact, we were causing harm and we didn't understand, we didn't have any vocabulary for trauma. We hadn't, there was the word like adverse childhood experiences this 22 years ago, no one was talking about that. We were not talking about trauma and brain parenting and the understanding of what was going on in the body. I'd never heard the word regulate. We were in a very, um, like compliance and obedience community and in that mindset. And so we were not creating a trauma-informed healing family. Um, and it was causing a whole lot of struggle. Mo, would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that is, yeah, I'm in complete agreement there, but I was going to say the thing that I have to own is so often, especially when we talk about adoption, foster care, it's always framed as if the trauma happened before they came into your home. And I think the reality that, that I have to own is that I also cause trauma um, with the little ones in our home because we were driving behaviors. We were not, it was not a safe uh, there was no felt safety. There was, there was just, it was, it was hard. And so I think that is, it's why we're passionate about this. Um, and I think as, as a soon to be 51 year old man, when I look over my life, are there regrets? Are there things that I, you know, I'm am, am sad about, are there things that break my heart that, that is it right there is that um, I have to own the fact that our home was not my, me being a dad, my daddiness was not Mm. bringing 
hope and healing for my children. It was um, actually um, causing additional trauma. And um, I mean, I'll just say this weekend, um, there was a conversation in the kitchen between two of my older kiddos and uh, I could hear the conversation and they were sharing about some Just early experiences, right? Early experiences. Yeah. And like there was nothing I could go in there and say, no, 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 no. Let me let me justify it. Like it, I just had to sit in the fact of that is true. And we have made, we have course corrected, and we have, man, we do things not just a little bit different. Like we are not the same people we were 20 years, 21 years ago when we were parenting. Mm. but for the kiddo in the kitchen this weekend that was sharing, he, he was sharing truth of, of his parenting experience. And mm. that's hard and humbling. And we can't Mo. I appreciate what you said. Uh, you, you came up and told me you were like, Hey, FYI, this conversation just happened in the kitchen. And so some, some trauma may be kind of up at the surface and particularly in one of our kids' hearts and minds. And I mean, what we have to call that is PTSD and PTSD at our hands, like at our parenting hand. Um, And so when we're helping children make sense of their past experiences, like we have to do the repair work. And like Mo said, I mean, cannot justify it. I have, we have both told the kids, Hey, if there's anything ever on your mind, if there's anything bubbling up to the surface, if you're thinking about anything in the past that happened between us, we will do our best to be safe for you to bring that up and to let us like make amends again. And, um, I wish I could say that only happens every now and then, but it happens pretty frequently and it could be, it catches me off guard. Hey mom, you said that it would be okay if we talked about anything from the past. I'm like, let's do it. And, you know, our kids hold memory and they hold it in explicit ways where they can put words to it. They hold it in like implicit ways in their body that come out as reactions. And I mean, truly truly this this experience of parenting has been one of the most humbling and transformative things that in my entire life um mark and i don't say it it is not in any kind of proud way there's there's truly no pride mixed up in it. Like we came to try to understand what our children needed in desperation, like in sheer desperation. Um, Things were not going well. Mark and I did not look, we did not like who we saw in the mirror when we looked back at ourselves and we did not like who we saw when we looked at each other. I mean, our marriage, there was so much tension because things were confusing. Like behaviors were confounding behaviors in our children and be in our own behavior. Like our reactions to what was happening were out of control and just things were not good in the Ottinger family. And um, I don't remember 
I do think we, we were talking about, we were doing this like life map sort of thing with, with a colleague some months ago. And he asked a question that I think took Mo and I both by surprise. And he said, it must've taken a lot of courage to change things. And I was like, oh my goodness, maybe it was courage. It felt like rock bottom. Mm. And I mean, we went on the hunt for, there has to be somebody that can help us here. We were running to therapists in town, getting only the encouragement to double down on like authoritarian discipline. So our solutions at the time were to up the discipline. And by discipline, I mean, punishment. So punish the behavior out of the children. And that was the mentality that we had come from. And we were harming our babies. Like, oh my goodness. Oh, so many wish I could go back. And anyway, so that, JD, we came to trying to understand trauma um, because we just didn't like ourselves anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were scared. If I'm really honest, I was filled with terror. Yeah. That it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. I had so much fear about who our children were going to become, that mm. I was trying to stop it and I was making them become it. Man, golly. So when, and y'all told the story before about then coming, being introduced to the Monroe's and, and going yeah. through the ETC course and coming back. Um, it, I, and I know that might not be a moment, but can you think of kind of the earliest themes that began bring some hope for you guys in that conversation, like whether it was educational or whether there was like, Oh, this one tool or practice we put into place really helped. Are there some early memories of that? I think, I think they're all mixed together and I'll say first, I'll be curious what I would say, but I think my biggest light bulb really was when I started understanding literally a stress response that the children have a flight fight flight freeze. Now we understand fawn, but I didn't, that wasn't something we were talking about 20 years ago, but simply fight, flight and freeze. Okay. So when my kid is doing something, they may not be in control of their behavior. Okay. Oh, that was life. So you're telling me I can't, I shouldn't punish a behavior that they literally cannot stop no matter how much, how many consequences they have, like that was like, Whoa. So the understanding of fear Mm -hmm. and what it does to the brain and the body and behavior. And that those babies are literally trying to protect themselves and survive at the base brain level. Yeah. That was the biggest light bulb for me. And what that did was it gave me permission to actually listen to my instincts. I had been, um, oh, this is so complex, but I had been in a, in an environment where I had been told I shouldn't listen to my instincts Uh. that I should quiet those. And that there was formulas for life that my instinct and what was happening inside of me, my feelings, my emotions, my intuition were not to be trusted. So I was not trusting them in parenting. Mm. I had silenced them and I was doing what I was told to do. So now I get to go, okay, what's going on in this situation? Maybe my mommy instinct will lead me well. Yeah. Yeah. And I like threw the books away 
was like, maybe my kids are experiencing stress. Maybe I'm experiencing stress and I can follow like the Holy spirits lead in me. And I can figure this out for my own dang self. Mm. And that's what I started doing. I started listening and trusting myself and understanding fight, flight, and freeze. And that's like all I did for like a year at the beginning. Mo, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, it's the brain. It's understanding the brain. It's understanding the amygdala. I mean, and I think, uh, you know, and then when Dan Siegel came out, and Tina Payne Bryson came out with the whole brain child to see their, just their graphic of fight, flight and freeze being that first story. And there's a staircase going up to the upper brain, the second floor. And that's where kind of life happens. And, and, but that amygdala is that baby gate. And when, when fear, uh, you know, closes that baby gate and it can't be open, they can't navigate the brain to make, the decisions and all the, you know, all the things that we want them to make. And so I think that, that absolutely was a, was a game changer for me that I'm asking a child to do something that neurologically they they're unable to do and, and um, to help a child regulate, to open up that baby gate so that we can get moving. Right. And so um I mean, I tell people all the time, we're kind of in the, what we do, you know, what we do with ETC and Memphis Family Connections there, we're, we're kind of helping parents understand how to regulate <laughs> themselves and their child. Yeah. So that then you can do what you want to do. And so that, that was such a game changer uh, for me. And, and, and I hate to say this, this is really being really oversimplified, but just, you know, at the time I was a pastor and it was all about the heart and it was all about the heart of my child. And I get to the heart of my child and I began to realize, no, I actually need to get to the brain <laughs> and understand what is happening there. Um, and learning, learning too. I'll say another one for me, because once I began to understand what goes on with my child, but also understanding to regulate myself. Like so much of it was also child centered. And I think for me, once I began to say, man, this is, this is a two a relationships, two ways. And I needed to also begin to understand myself. And I'll just be real honest and say, I was not one that would stop and be self-reflective about myself, like what I bring to a relationship or what is happening here, what buttons are being pressed or how this is making me feel. And, and why am I responding this way to my child? And, um, you know, beginning to have to be honest about expectations or, you know, Tana even just said it, so oftentimes we're looking at our child who is one or two or three, but we're like, how does this play out when they're 18 or 22 or 30? And so um, I'm in the middle of this situation with my child acting like I've got to handle this because I want them to be a, a, you know, a healthy 25 year old. And instead of just meeting the child where they are as a three-year-old, um, and I think, Tony, you, you know, I love the, the quote you said when we when we came to, you know, you said in another place, but 
Um, you, you said when we came to the realization that a child can uh, do age appropriate things inappropriately <laughs> and we can meet them in their inappropriate ways and meet them there, it didn't have to be a quick they needed to stop doing it with a happy heart, first time, all those sorts of things. But hey, man, we can we can help them just be kids. They're a three-year-old. They're not that 25-year-old. And I can meet them right there as a three-year-old, and they're doing what three-year-olds do, and I can meet them there. I think, Mo, you just said something that was a major light. That was another light bulb that came off for us was we felt like the goal like how we created like resilient, capable, whatever, whatever our hopes and dreams were for our children. We thought that how we got them there was to make them stop doing something when they were three. Yep. And that was wrong thinking actually, like what gets them there is giving them tools and strategies to regulate when they're three, they carry that, regulation ability forward into their life. It's not about compliance. Like it's, it's about collaboration. And so we could only help our kiddos when we had some understanding of what was going on in the moment. Like we needed to know, Oh, the kiddo it's their behavior is being driven by something and it's trying to communicate something, albeit behavior that we don't want forever, right? Like we can say, we don't want our kids to grow up and continue to lie or steal or have pretty significant meltdowns or be verbally or physically aggressive. Like those are behaviors that need to be addressed, but we were coming from the mentality that you make them, you, you make those behaviors stop. That's how they don't carry them into adulthood. Yeah. It was all about, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It was all about modification, right? 100% about behavior modification. And then we begin to understand through the lens of trauma informed parenting, that there is something going on that's deeper than the behavior. And we want to be curious about that. We want to be a detective about that. We want to understand what is driving this behavior and support that need. And then give our children as they grow the ability to support their own needs and to be aware for themselves what's driving their behavior. We literally were like, oh, this whole like heavy handed consequence thing is not helping our children grow. Mm-hmm. It isn't. Maybe, sure. Maybe it's maybe sometimes it depends on the, the strength of the will of the child. Like this whole strong willed child vocabulary, that is just another way of saying, I can't make that kid stop behavior the way I want to make them stop behavior. Right. Right. My, my oomph isn't strong enough to make their oomph comply. <laughs> well, and I'm like, oh, honey, that, that child has some strength. Let's stand back and be like, whoo, they are seriously self-protecting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think of when Tina Payne Bryson was on with us and her, you know, talking about the need for like an, an expect like to reset expectations. And, you know, she said, I, I recall like talking to, and I forget how old her child was at the time, but saying, Hey, look, it's your first time being 11. It's my first time parenting an 11 year old. I don't know how I'm doing this. And and with the second or third kid, like, Hey, it's my first time parenting a second child. You. My first yeah. time, you know, like, so, you. 
and, and saying like, when we can get into a team approach where like, we're all on the same page, what we want is for, is for our kids to thrive and they want to thrive. And however we can help, you know, there's an illustration I heard recently where, you know, if you think somebody has a broken arm, you help them up much differently than you do if they have a broken leg. Well, I think early on in parenting, I had no idea what was broken. I'm just trying to yank kids up and not realizing like you were talking about, like we're causing way more pain because maybe I was pulling on a broken arm thinking that it was a broken leg. And so like, once we better understand what's actually happening, then we can better appropriately like get across the finish line together, get, get into, you know, this, on this, this path together. Um, obviously this looks different in different seasons of life. Right. And so like, um, you know, one of the things that you guys have talked a lot about is being, you know, detectives or being curious, knowing your, your kids, like we're, you know, is there anything particularly you want to speak to in that, in that regard, like in the broader conversation? Well, I think about even what you just said, JD, which is, like knowing how each child specifically, I mean, specifically is functioning and how they are embodying their past experiences, both before us and with us, and then meeting them through a personal lens, like understanding this particular child experiences shame this way. This particular child experiences fear this way. This particular child experiences joy this way or anxiety this way and, and letting them show up in the world for themselves and Mm. respecting and honoring their individuality and then realizing I have my own way of doing that. And sometimes those things can have, we talk a lot about the attachment dance, that it's you plus your child and you're in a dance together. Yeah. Look, sometimes some of my kids are easier for me to get in step and dance with. Mm-hmm. Some it's clunky, which means I then I'm going to have to repair more often because yeah. I'm clunking through this dance with them because they're their own person and, and trauma. If we just talk about trauma, trauma is how individuals experience and internalize an event. Trauma is not the event. Trauma is an individual internalization of an experience. Mm. So each one of our kids are bringing their own individual history and adverse experiences to my relationship with them. And I am bringing mine and mine are going to hit one relationship one way and it's going to hit another relationship a different kind of way. Yeah, yeah. So we have early on, we're like, oh, we can't have these strict Ottinger family ways. Man, I wanted those. I wanted yeah. this, like Ottinger way of being in the world. Almost like we moved as one like collective whole through the world yeah. and that we would come in and all sort of exude something. I couldn't have even put words to it, but they were like deep-seated expectations. Yeah. So that had to die. Those expectations had to go to like the the deathbed of expectations. And I had to say, oh, these are individual human beings (laughs) with their own situations and their own circumstances. And, you know, we're going to have our own little relationships here and they're going to grow up to be their own people. And, And Mark and I are different parents, So thinking about how that went down 
right, Mo? Like we, we even now into young adulthood or some, you know, our older kids are young adults and older teenagers. And Mark and I have really different relationship with those kids. Mm -hmm. And we're pretty honest with them about it. We don't make excuses. We kind of keep working on it, but we'll have check-ins. Hey, how do you think we're doing lately? How do you think you and I are doing? Um, Because we're trying to foster those independent relationships with the kids. Yeah. Great. And, you know, just talking through just the different seasons, it is interesting just seeing, I mean, like Tana just said, we have young adults, older teenagers, we go down to nine and it's, it, we, we've seen our children, you know, 20 plus years and seen how they process things in different seasons and even as us in different seasons. And so, I mean, I will say this, and as we, as we changed how we approach our kids, as we began to do our own personal work and we, we're still in process there, um, that is all of us are in process, right? And there's, there's a real sweetness and beauty to it. And, and, and at times it can be hard at sometimes it can be really healing and all those things, but like, To be able to have, I mean, we can say this, we have relationships with each of our kiddos and we have, we have worked on things and mended things and been there to process things and, and also had people on the outside process with them, you know? And so, um, trauma is not something that, uh, just, you know, goes away you know, after a couple of months or, um, is something that a few counseling appointments or just a few conversations it's done. Like all of us are in process. And, um, and so I, I would also say just realizing, um, I am grateful for the relationship we have with each of our kids. I'm grateful for the honesty and the transparency and the vulnerability and the humility that, that at times comes with being parenting, uh, be, being parents. Um, um, but also to see our kiddos, uh, take some steps forward in their healing has been really sweet. And, and for us as well, I mean, you know, I, I would say, you know, Tana even said 20 some odd years ago in our early parenting, our marriage was struggling. And I would say our marriage is, is in a healthy and good spot now, right? Like we've had to do our own work and, and own growth. And so, um, so j- just the seasons, just know that, that it is, it's, it's a season of healing. It's, it's multiple seasons of healing. It is a lifetime of healing. And that's part of the sweetness of that is being able to have a relationship with your child to, to go through that. Well, I'd I'd love for us to kind of wrap up on this thought. Um, and you just touched on it, Mo, but being, um, being somebody who is going to be a, a lifetime learner and being somebody who is going to be someone who is constantly understanding that we're all not just our kids, but we're all in progress and in, in process. Um, you know, you two, I've, I feel like I have always learned a lot from you in this, that um, there's that illustration that I've, I've heard Mo, you share in, in class a million times, but you know, when the, 
uh, oxygen masks come down on a plane, when you're getting your run through, when you get on a plane, you're always told, you know, please secure your mask before the masks of others. And it always feels a little bit backwards for those of us, especially if we're coming from kind of a, you know, oftentimes a, a more a Christian background, you, you feel like, oh no, I'm supposed to serve others. Do you mind kind of wrapping up and talking about how that that might be the most important kind of starting paradigm for us in this journey is uh, is that like taking care of ourselves before we're taking care of the kids? Why don't we finish on that topic? Because that might have been one of the biggest game changers for me personally in this whole journey. Mm, Tony, you want me to start? Is that what you said? Yeah, this was, um, again, it's not, uh, it's not, I mean, it's, it goes back to, I said earlier, it's a relationship is a two way, it's a two way street. And so, um, I, I had, I had to own the fact of, of just so much of my stuff of, um, expectations that I had for my kids, things that I would bring from how I was parented. Um, you know, even looking around at, at other dads with their kids, you know, um, well, this is how my kids need to operate. Um, I think everything that was kind of being thrown at us early on from a parenting, you know, standpoint from those around us to the books we were reading, all the things. And um, I had to, I had to really, um, man, I was just, like I said, I I struggled with emotions. I struggled with um, uh, being self-reflective um, there were, if, if a child could press a button, I think I was just all one big button. Like there were not just like everything just triggered me. And, and so, um, I think I had, you know, and I'll say, like, I got, I had a group of guys and just the ability to begin to own how I was feeling, to be honest about that. Um, to be able to then once I began to grapple with and come to grips with how I was feeling, I was able to also sit with my children's strong feelings. Um, and, and so there was just so much, like there was a whole revamp of me and, you know, I think that would be my biggest encouragement. And, you know, just as a dad speaking to dads here of just, I think so much of our brain space and our energy can go toward a job, can go toward so many other things. And we just expect to roll on into the house and, uh, you know, not, not give any effort. Like I had to own the fact that my, my energy, my, emotions and my dreams and my on and on and on, you go down the list was going toward a job and my kids weren't getting the best of me. They were getting a tired me that Mm -hmm. just kind of wanted things to be easy on on autopilot. And so, you know, the real gift that my kids have given me is, is for me to, to, um, 
to learn to be an, an intentional dad, to learn to be a student of my kids, to understand that there's a need behind all of their behaviors, um, to understand too that um, there were things uh, about me that that I needed to own and I needed to work on and that I needed for the first time to, to begin to understand feelings and to understand, you know, shame and anger and fear and joy and all those things. And so, so that I could be emotionally present with my kids. Right. I think so often dads can confuse being physically present with their children. And I think to truly offer felt safety and, and to emotionally be there with our children, we have to be able to be emotionally attuned to them and to ourselves. And so, and that's some, that's some, that's, that's some work. And, um, that is the work that I've had to do. And that's the work that I'm continually doing. Like, um, it's it's heavy work that I'm still in the process of. Before I share some of my closing thoughts, if you don't mind, if I just respond to what Mo just shared, you know, we, we started off by saying that like our marriage was in a hard place and it wasn't great. I mean, it's just because there was just tension. I mean, there was just so much tension in the house and we didn't have like a vocabulary, like no shared vocabulary for what was going on. Things were confusing. We just, we weren't, we just were not doing well. We didn't like ourselves. We didn't like each other. Just, we didn't like the circumstance of nothing. Yeah. And I truly two, two thoughts, and then I'll switch gears into sort of responding to the original question. But I was with, a, um, I was with a group of moms on a girl's weekend this past weekend. And we just started talking, um, about parenting and specifically in our marriages, like what, what it was like. And, I don't know if all the moms listening, and this is very like mom, dad specific. So it's very gendered what I'm about to say, but just hang with me for a minute. I acknowledge that, but there is something I think innate about moms that we are wired to protect our children. Like something snaps in us and we become like aggressively protective And Mark experienced this from me. And that is what was happening in our marriage at that time. Mm. Mo, look, I'm not saying I was doing well with the kids. I'm not going to pretend I was. I was struggling. There was things going bad, but things were going fairly bad with Mo and some of the kids. And I did what mothers are wired biologically to do. And that is to protect our children. And so in our marriage, Mo became the aggressor and I became the protector. Mo, would you agree with that strength of that language? I would. And it was not putting he and I in a place where we could parent collaboratively. And I think I have thought about this so much. I 100% lay the health of our family at Mo's at most feet, his willingness to make such significant, insightful changes is what has saved our family. Mm. Um, and, and I've, I've said this before, jokingly, I'm like, I fell in love with them when we were like naive and young and life was looking easy and everything looked bright and shiny. And then 
I didn't like him for a while because, and Hey, I didn't like myself either, Like, but I didn't like him. I didn't like me. I did not like what our family. And then we like switched some things around and became thoughtful. And I fell in love with them all over again. Mm. So who, wherever you are, if you're listening, it's just never too late. Yeah. It's never too late to restore and to change and to just make, we, we have the capacity as human beings to change our behavior. Yeah. We can, we can make different choices. So my closing thoughts for this, I feel like sometimes I live between the tension of two things. One is a, is a Bruce Perry thought, which is it's about children, but children do the best they can. We're all, and I take that as like, we're all doing the best we can. That is true. I do believe in any given moment, in any circumstance, we need to be compassionate and kind to ourselves. We're doing the best we can. Yeah. If we could do better, we would do better, which leads me to the tension of the Maya Angelou idea, which is no better, do better. So there's this tension between like, I'm doing the best I can. I know better. I should be doing better. Right. I don't know. I probably like vacillate between those two thoughts every given moment of my life. Right. It's this tension of like self-compassion and pushing myself to grow. Like being, so it's like this kind, compassionate mindset around myself, you know, our partners, our parenting partners and our children, like the kindness and understanding that we're human beings and human beings typically do the best they can. Sometimes that flips to lower brain activity where it's like self-protection and we get stuck in that self-protection mode, that fight, flight and freeze, but we all do it. So nobody is more broken than anybody else. That language, I do not agree to. We all self-protect in some way. We're all behaving in some way that takes care of ourselves. Me, my kids, Mo, and our family. So how can we go, okay, let's be kind and compassionate to ourselves. We're all doing the best we can in any given moment. While simultaneously saying, I would like to keep growing. Yeah. yeah, I would like to keep growing in my ability to do the best I can in any given moment. And how do I do that? Do I learn new things? Do I give myself time to practice new strategies? Changing your behavior takes a lot of practice. That's just science. I can't tell myself I'm going to, you know, start responding to my children in a more like compassionate way and just expect that to happen tomorrow. So giving ourselves the freedom and grace and time to make mistakes and, but don't give up, just keep practicing. So I, be, be kind and curious. Yep, yeah. You say kind, yeah. You say be kind and curious. I would say be humble and yeah. courageous. You know, if I'm speaking to dads, just yeah. um, be humble um, to know that you can be, you, you can do better and you need to learn. Yeah. And there's a humility to that, that you need to, to own. And then the courage to admit that and the courage to step into, um, I'm, you know, I think so often 
we're always like, man, this is just the way I am. This is, this is how I am. And to say, you know what, I can do better and I will do better. And so to be humble and courageous. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. That'll preach right there, Bo. That'll preach there. <laughs> Thanks, JD. Thank y'all. I mean, this is really helpful. And so I think, you know, if you are just starting out, just replay these last five minutes a few times for yourself, maybe listen to them every day and remind yourself that you've got to give yourself the space that you need and, and, the, and the grace that you need to, to get up the next day and keep going. Um, but do get up the next day and keep going. And um, yeah, thank y'all so much for joining us today and, and for talking about this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, I would just remind you that uh, for those of you who, who listened today and maybe it was your first time listening to content specific to trauma-informed parenting, um, just hold on to that last five minutes, right? Hold on to that last five minutes to show where you are able to give yourself some compassion. This is a long journey. It's an important journey. And for those of us who are on this path and we are starting out, it is so necessary to give yourself the grace, give yourself the compassion that you need to be able to continue showing up for your kids, showing up for yourself, for your family uh, over and over again. And so uh, those two things, give yourself some compassion, keep showing up, um, giving yourself even the nurture and the structure and the balance that you need of both. And so uh, just an encouragement as you leave today, um, I hope that today's episode was helpful for you and that uh, it is something that you are going to um, have some takeaways to begin to implement this week. If it was helpful for you, if you just share it with a friend, um, share it with somebody who uh, might also need the encouragement that you got from the episode today. Uh, we really do appreciate it. You can go and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to be found by other people who are looking for the same kind of content um, as you are. And so uh, we really, really appreciate all of you who have left ratings, left reviews, who have shared the podcast. Um, we are coming up on 300,000 people who have listened to the show. Um, and uh, we, we could not be more uh, humbled and just grateful for that. And so uh, thanks so much for your support. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for liking. Thanks for rating, reviewing, all of that. For Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio. For Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the ETC podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and I will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.